through that, they would see how great is our God. There is none beside you. There is none like you. You deserve the glory. God, our desire is that you have first place in our lives. Colossians 1, it talks about you are the firstborn. You are the firstborn of all creation in your resurrection. That you created all. Not only is it created by you, it's created for you. That you might have first place in everything. So God, we want you to be Lord. Jesus, we want you to be the master, the center of our life, our joy, our purpose. That everything would submit to you in our lives. You are worthy, and we want to give you our lives afresh today. Just surrender afresh to Him in your heart right now. And if there's something holding you back, ask yourself, why would I not surrender this to the God of the universe? And Lord, right now, we even bring our finances to you. We give with joy in this offering because you're worthy even of our money, our possessions. All is yours. And we want to lay up treasures not on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. So we give now as an act of worship in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, ushers, if you would uh, take the baskets around. This is one of the ways you can give. There's also a number of ways you can give electronically. And I want to bring your attention to a little pamphlet that was given to you when you walked in. Uh, we think about all the things that we give at Christmas. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider giving something to the one whose birthday we're celebrating, Jesus. Uh, so there's some uh, wish lists, we call it, some things that we would love to do here at church that you could give toward as you consider a gift to Jesus this Christmas. Also, I want to bring to your attention, your faithfulness in finances is so crucial right now. We had to recently replace this projector. It died on us, so I hope you've noticed the new crisp uh, projector that's up there, but that is expensive, and we had to replace it. And so uh, right now, we only have 20000 in our general fund, and uh, so we're kind of tight, and we want to bring that to your attention. Uh, but we're trusting God. He's always been faithful to provide our needs. So prayerfully consider this as you consider Christmas giving, year-end giving. Eric, come. I want you to share your testimony. Woo, it's good to be back at Living Hope after being gone for so long. Uh, so good morning. Uh, first off, I want to thank uh, just Living Hope in general. You guys helped us out big time with our little baby girl. Uh, she was just uh, in the NICU for a little while, and your prayers, love, and all that really good food you guys sent. Woo. But um, so grateful for that. Um, my uh, testimony today is going to be a good tie-in for um, the racial issues that we've been talking about for the last couple, or last week, and the uh, message today that Pastor David's going to give about being shaken. Now, I'm just going to read this off, because Pastor David's really strict about three minutes, so. Uh, I'm a born and raised Athenian. I grew up in what is called the Iron Triangle, a rougher part of town that is predominantly a black community. Being a product of the Clark County school system and the environment where I lived, I grew to know and love black culture, the music, the dancing, the food, the love of family. But there were influ influential people in my life that taught me to hate the things that I loved. So years went by and that hate had more than compounded. And I had become so full of hate that I got a tattoo of a Confederate flag on my back. 
branding myself a racist for all to see. And I'm here to tell you that there is nothing good that comes from harboring hate. Hate will cause your soul to bleed, and it will kill your spirit. The sin of racism is a tool that Satan uses to keep brethren separated and to keep us far away from God. But unfortunately for Satan, on January 2nd, 2015, God ran to me and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This was the beginning of the healing process for my soul and my spirit. One day I was reading God's word and I came across a verse that I'd heard and read many times before. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And in that moment, God's word shook me way deep in my heart. Jesus didn't die just for white people. God created the universe, the world, the people, all the people in his image. And Jesus sacrificed himself so that all people would have an opportunity to be with our heavenly father. How could I call myself a follower of Jesus with the mentality that I had? The love of Jesus allowed me to see people through his eyes, not through the lens of the world that is clouded with the dirt of sins like racism. And I found that love that I had lost all those years ago. So I went to have that tattoo removed. I had four laser, laser removal surgeries, and with 11 more to go, I didn't have the funds to continue the sessions, and I had to wait. However, this past June, I was given the honor, joy, and privilege to officiate an interracial marriage. <clears throat> and, and there was no way I was going to stand there with those two beautiful people in the eyes of the Lord with that horrible symbol of hate. So what better way to get rid of it than to follow the example of Jesus? Just as he covers our sins with his blood, I covered that symbol of hate with the ultimate symbol of love. <clears throat> Racism is a deeply rooted sin, and there's only one way to eliminate it, and that is through the blood of Jesus. God has taken my shame and turned it into his glory. I am forever changed and a new creature because of what he did for all people on that cross. Thank you. Yes. Amen, brother. Love it. Thank you, man. Just put it on the seat. So proud of you. Love your transparency. Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? He can forgive any sin. He can break any stronghold. He can change any area of our life that is not in conformity with his will. Children ages three years to fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you are dismissed out that door right now. Rest of you, take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Haggai. It is one of the last of the Old Testament books. It's called a minor prophet. About three books from the end of the Old Testament, Haggai. It's only two chapters, but it's full, jam-packed with powerful truth. This is the book that I have felt led to preach through now. It'll take us about six to eight or 10 weeks to go through it, you're saying, what, it's only two chapters? Yes, we're going to go very slow, we're going to take things very detailed, I will not even get into chapter 1 today, I'm just going to give you an overview, but we will deal with some very important scriptures, and the title of this series is called The Shaking. I want to show you where these, this title comes from, this theme, and then I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit 
to anoint this time and to speak into your life and mine. So I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 6. Actually, let's stand in honor of God's Word. These will be the, this will be the Scripture reading, just a few select Scriptures where it uses the word shaking. Chapter 2, verse 6, out of the ESV, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. Chapter 2, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will anoint your word. Thank you that what was written in previous times is relevant for us today. Your word is timeless. Your word is powerful. Your word shatters and your word heals. And I pray in the name of Jesus, you would use this message and this book to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Could we be seeing right now in the world and in our nation a shaking? The coronavirus, the fires out west, the economy, the political strife and all kinds of divisions on many fronts, the increase in hurricanes, could this be a shaking of the Lord? Maybe you right now in your life are going through a shaking, a time in which God is making you uncomfortable in order to do a new and a deeper work in your heart. We're going to learn about that in the book of Haggai. And I want you to look closely at this illustration because I think it shows a lot of what God does when He shakes our lives. He shakes us in order to separate out that which doesn't belong and to purify us and to get us to a point in our relationship with Him where He is Lord. The number one commandment is you shall have no other gods before you. When we put things before God, they become what is called idols. Our nation has done that, our world has done that, and maybe you in your life have done that. So if I want pure sand, I want pure sand, that's what I'm going for. And I put it in this sifter, but I also have mixed in some rocks, some things that I don't want. Things, these represent things in my life that don't belong. Things that come before God. Things that I put before the Lord. There's, there's sin, there's stronghold, there's maybe addictions, there's maybe uh, areas of disobedience, rebellion. Those are mixed in. So how do I get rid of those? Well, one of the ways that God works to purify us and to separate out that which doesn't belong is He will shake us. He will shake us and make us uncomfortable and do things in our lives that are unpleasant to us. But all along, it's because He is purifying, He is separating, and He is bringing us more into conformity with His will, where what I have here is pure sand, and what I have here is separated out what God did not want in my life. And so if you are going through a shaking right now in your life, it very well could be the hand of God because He loves you, 
cares about you, and there's an attribute of God that's very important for us to understand, and it is He is a jealous God. He is jealous over things that we put before Him. If I have a true love for my wife, and I want a, 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 a relationship with her that honors God, where we uh, have a commitment where, where we have an exclusive commitment, we share things, we have a oneness, which is what marriage is all about, to where other things should not come in the way of that. But if I drifted and I began to give affection or time to a relationship to another person that belongs only to my wife, she should be wholly jealous. God is a holy God. And He wants a relationship with us whereby it is pure, it is exclusive. We have no other gods before Him. And if we give our allegiance, we give our love to things that belong only to God, He, out of love and care for us, will be jealous. And then He will bring a shaking to our life to wake us up. Now, sometimes that shaking is a gentle shaking. I remember being in an Atlanta Braves game with my kids once, and I noticed in the audience Hank Aaron. Well, I am a longtime fan of Hank Aaron. I began following Hank Aaron when I was eight years old. I still have the letter that I wrote, handwritten letter, Dear Mr. Aaron, I am eight years old and in the third grade. You, Mr. Aaron, are my favorite player. I, I stay up at night to listen to games, and I, that was a great grand slammer last Saturday night against the Houston Astros. You think I still remember that letter that I wrote? He handwrote a little note at the bottom of my note. David, you're a fine-looking boy. Good luck in life. Oh, and I said, could you please, Mr. Aaron, send me a, 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 an autographed picture of yourself? Well, this, is be, this was when it was Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron in the all-time home run list. And he hand-wrote a note to me at the bottom of my letter along with an autographed picture of himself in an envelope that I received, and I still have that. So we're at a game, and I noticed, this is after he retired, he's in the audience. So I shook, I gently shook my children. They didn't need a radical shaking. Their attention was over here, but it needed to be over here. And so I gently shook them and said, guys, look over there. Hank Aaron is in the stadium. My only regret is that I didn't go up that day and get his autograph. I blew it big time. So that's a gentle shaking. There are other times when a more radical shaking is called for. If it's 2 a.m. and everybody in your house is asleep and fire has broken out, you don't just go up and whisper in their ear. You go and you shake the living daylights out of them to wake them up to get out of that house lest they burn to death. Sometimes God's shaking is more severe. Then there's the middle ground shaking. Like when Nathan approached David because of his sin with Bathsheba. And David was not repenting. David had obviously at this point in his life not listened to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit that was probably convicting him. So God sends the prophet Nathan. Nathan tells David a little story that David begins to get drawn into and can identify with. And then Nathan gives the clincher, shakes him medium range and says, you are the man. You're the man that's guilty of the very story that I've just told you. So sometimes there's a gentle shaking, sometimes there's a more violent shaking, and sometimes there's that middle-of-the-road shaking. I submit to you today that the degree to which God will shake your life is the degree to which you are receptive to the Holy Spirit. The degree to which He has to get more firm in His shaking of you is the degree to which you hear and respond to the Holy Spirit. 
If you are receptive to the Holy Spirit, you are open to the Holy Spirit, you are laying your life before God saying, God, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, I want to be right with you. God, I don't want idols in my life. God, I want to be solely devoted to you. You've given your all to me. I want to give my all to you. And you do that on a daily basis. You'll never have to experience probably a violent shaking to bring you to repentance. And that doesn't mean you won't go through violent shakings in terms of of difficulty, suffering, trials, tribulations. The next book I preach after Haggai is probably going to be 1 Peter. It's a book about suffering well. Because I believe we are on the verge of some difficult times in this country, even more than we've experienced so far. And if Christians aren't locked into Jesus, they are going to be rolled over by the circumstances of life. Now, there's four questions that I want to answer in this message today. What is the historical background? These are all on your notes, the back of your little flyer you were given. If you're watching online, they're available, I believe, on on the Facebook page or on our app. What is repeated and why? What is this shaking? I'm going to go into more detail of what that is. And what is the significance of rebuilding the temple? So, talking about rebuilding the temple, let's go right into the historical background of this book. Because of Israel's sin, selfishness, and turning their backs on God, God brought judgment upon them. In 589, King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem and in 586 destroyed the temple and took the Jews into exile, and that is called the Babylonian captivity. So because Israel had drifted from God, had sinned, had violated His holy standards, God brought an ungodly nation, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, to come into Jerusalem to bring judgment on them and to even destroy the place of worship called the temple. Could America be on the verge of something like this? I don't know. But we have shaken our fist at God, said, God, we don't want you in public life. God, we don't want your word in public schools. God, we don't want the Ten Commandments posted in public places. God, we think that our way is better than your way. We think our standards of sexual morality and identity and marriage is better than yours. We have shaken our fist at Almighty God. We have said that our view of sexual morality is better than yours, God. We don't believe that that sex should be only with a one-man, one-woman marriage. We think it should be whenever you want, with whoever you want, however you want. So we have shaken our fist at Almighty God, and it's Leonard Ravenhill who said, if God doesn't bring judgment on America because of our sin, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. So America, wake up. America better be ready. Because you can only shake your fist at God for so long before He'll begin to shake judgment upon you. You say, well, I don't believe in that. I just believe God is loving. Yeah, He's loving and He's also holy. And if your view of God is that He is only loving and you have not seen other attributes of God, then your view of God is incomplete. You may be worshiping a God who doesn't exist. You may think you're submitting to a God who's not the one true God. How well do you know God? How well do you know His character, His attributes? Because He is the God from Genesis to Revelation, and in this case and in others, He will bring judgment on a nation that shakes their fist at Him. Now, out of His grace and mercy, out of love and care, He delivered them from Babylon, and in 538, The Persians came in. God used an ungodly man named Cyrus 
to deliver them from Babylon. And he allowed 50,000 Jews to return to Jerusalem in 538. So you have this returning, a remnant. That's a good study to do sometime, is the remnant. That's the, that's the small among the many that God uses and calls out to do His will. Are you part of the remnant? Are you part of those that, that will defy the, the trends of the day and even the lukewarmness in the church? Will you be one of the remnant who is wholly devoted to Jesus, who has a whole heart for God, who says, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. He's going to be the Lord and Master of my life. That's the remnant. So 50,000 had returned to Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild the temple. They began well, just like in the parable of the sower in Mark 4. You have the seeds, and some grow up, and some last well. Only one out of four was fruitful in Mark chapter 4. The others uh, got drifted or, or got the, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares for other things, caused some of those seeds to not last and not be fruitful. And so in the same way, you had these, these Jews, these followers of God. They began to rebuild the temple, but then they got discouraged, they got selfish, they got prideful, they began to put self before God, and they abandoned the work of rebuilding the temple. And that is why we have the book of Haggai. Because in 520 B.C., 18 years after these people had returned. And again, they started well, but then they faded, they drifted. And God raises up Haggai, and over a four-month period, he's going to give four messages in this book, calling the people of God back to the task that God had originally given them, and that is to rebuild the temple. Next week, we'll look at some very interesting verses, such as in chapter 1 where he says, you have built your paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins. Whoa. They had put self before God. They had put materialism before the work of God and the corporate place of worship called the temple. So that's a little of the historical background. The second question that we want to answer today is what is repeated and why? Whenever you study a passage, study a book of the Bible, it's important to to read through it, and I encourage you to do that. You can, you can literally read. I would encourage you to read the whole entire book of Haggai every day as we're in this study, asking God to give you revelation. And look for repeated words or phrases. Repeated words and phrases give, it shows you where God is bringing an emphasis. If God repeats something, it is for a reason. This is why one of the most repeated phrases of Jesus is, Fear not, for I am with you. A lot of people struggle with fear today. Fear of the virus. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure, whatever. But, but God says the way to conquer fear is to realize I'm with you. I'm not, not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power love and a sound mind. So when you study a book, look for what's repeated. There's two main things repeated in this book. Shaking and consider your ways. The word shaking, we've already seen that. We'll look at that more in a minute. And the phrase, uh, consider your ways. Now you put those two together, and here's the, one of the primary messages of the book. God shakes us that we might consider our ways. <laughs> he shakes you. He shakes me. He does things that cause us to be uncomfortable at times, not just because he wants to, to he's not because he's trying to make your life miserable, but it's to bring to your attention and mind what, what, what our life is about, and it makes us reconsider the direction we're headed. He shakes us 
that we might consider our ways. Look carefully at our lives. Like the Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. There's a proper place for self-examination. I'm not talking about navel-gazing where you're going and trying to find every little hidden thing in your life. This is Holy Spirit-led. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to shine light in your life, but you are open before Him. You sit before Him in quietness and humility, and you say, God, look at my life. Examine your ways. See if there's areas that God wants to bring about change. So let me show you on the screen the repeated times in which anything related to shaking is mentioned. In chapter 1, verse 11, it says, I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, the grain and the new wine. Yes, God can appoint and bring about by His sovereign work a drought on a land to wake up a nation, to wake up a people. This was an agricultural economy. They relied on the crops to survive. And so a drought would have meant that their crops would not grow and this would have been very much, it'd be like somebody today losing their job or having something happen to their house or their vehicle or something that puts them in, a, in an economic strait or a difficulty. God did that to wake them up. Chapter 2, verse 6, I'll shake the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, verse 7, I will shake all nations. Chapter 2, verse 17, I struck you and all the products of your toil. Yes, God did that. He says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. So there you see, I encourage you to circle these things, highlight them, underline them. This is a repeated emphasis in the book of Haggai, the shaking of lives, the shaking of a nation. The second most repeated phrase is consider your ways. God wanted to get their attention. So in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, consider your ways. Chapter 1, verse 7, consider your ways. Chapter 2, verse 15, now then consider from this day onward. Chapter 2, verse 18, consider from this day onward. See the emphasis there. God doesn't repeat things just because He wants to fill the pages and make the Bible longer. He repeats things to get our attention. And so there's a shaking that we might look carefully and examine our lives. This week being Thanksgiving can be a great week to just take, a, take note of your life. Journal some areas that you want to give thanks to God. Make notes of things He's done in your life. And then just say, God, is there anything that I need to see? Is there anything you're trying to show me? Now, beloved, what's important to know is when God reveals something in our lives that is not where He wants it, it is so He can change us for our good and His glory. When He changes us, it is for our good and His glory. God didn't want Eric living with that hatred in his heart, weighing him down, being like a backpack of bricks that he was carrying around in his heart. Because when God worked in his life, God set him free. At first, it's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. There was a shaking, a realization that this area of his life was not in line with the gospel of Jesus. But as he submitted, as he surrendered, as he got free, then he's the better and God gets glory. It's for our good and his glory. So let's look more carefully. What is this shaking? It's a shaking to separate. 
and to purify. Again, what God wants is pure sand. And it takes the shaking to separate out what doesn't belong. Now, in Matthew Henry's commentary, he brings out the fact that in chapter 2, verse 7, and I want to show you this on the screen. It's in the New King James. Now, as we, when we get to this exact verse, because begin, beginning next week, we'll, we'll go verse by verse, starting in chapter 1. But when we get to chapter 2, verse 7, I'll share why some translations don't render it this way. But this is the translation that I believe is the most accurate on chapter 2, verse 7, the New King James. And I want to remind you that in Luke 24, 44, Jesus said, all that was written in the Law of the Prophets and the Psalms is about me. Jesus said that. Jesus said in, in Luke 24, 44, that all that was written in the Law of the Prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament, was written about me. The fullest revelation of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it says this in the New King James, And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory. Now, some translations say the treasuries of all nations, and I'll explain later why. But here is what I believe is the bullseye of this entire book. Listen closely. God shakes us. God makes us uncomfortable, puts us through trials, rattles our cage, so that we might come to Jesus and He be our supreme desire, Lord, Master, and God. So He shakes us. Look at the progression here. Shakes us that we might come to the desire of all nations and then He will fill this temple, and I'll tell you what the New Testament temple is, with His glory. So here's the, new, here's the central message of this entire book. God shakes us to bring us to wholehearted devotion to Jesus then we experience His glory. See, we want His glory without the submission. We want the glory without the shaking. But it doesn't come that way. There's an order here. He shakes the nations that they might come to the desire of all nations that we might then experience His glory. It's the same illustration I've used with the bicycle tire. That if Jesus is just one of your spokes... He's one of many areas of your life, but if you're dead honest, you are at the center. You are Lord. You do what you want. You're pretty much the runner of the show. And Jesus, yeah, he's your Sunday thing or your occasional thing or your Christmas and Easter thing. Listen to those of you online. But he's just one of your spokes. Then your wheel is going to be all messed up. It's going to be shaky going down the road. And it's to get your attention because Jesus should be the hub. Jesus should be Lord. He said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is Lord. All other activities flow out of his lordship. He's the center. When that happens, then the spokes come into alignment and the wheel flows as it's supposed to. So God will shake us to bring us to wholehearted devotion to Jesus and then we experience his glory. What is his glory? The word glory means to fully reveal the character and the likeness of God. When God's glory filled the temple in the Old Testament, it said they could not even stand to minister because His presence was so strong, His manifest presence, that His glory is the, fuller, the full expression of His character and His likeness. The way to get His glory is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. There is no other way. This is the way God has designed it. This is the way it works. Where is he shaking you in order to get out those things that don't belong and that are keeping you from wholehearted devotion to Jesus? 
Now, I want to show you a New Testament verse that supports this. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. Hebrews 12, 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So that would be parallel to consider your ways. <laughs> Listen to God. Don't be flippant about what he's saying and doing. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For, because if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So he's making reference to the Old Testament. He's making reference to previous acts of God where he warned them on earth through prophets, through messengers, and they rejected it. How much more, he says, will you suffer if you reject him who is warning you from heaven? Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Ha <laughs> ha, look at this. But now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Think of my illustration. Shaking to remove things that don't belong. The removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made. In other words, material things, earthly things, temporal things, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What are those? Those are eternal things. Those are things that have to do with your relationship with God. Those are the truths of His Word, the work of His Spirit, the character that He's developing. That is going to remain. The love that Eric has in his heart now, the racism and hatred that God removed, that's going to stay. That's going to stay. That's going to remain. The other stuff, it's been removed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Again, if you just have a limited view of God, oh, He's just loving and forgiving and whatever is okay. No, He's a consuming fire. He is that, and He's holy. And a consuming fire does what? A fire separates and burns away that which doesn't belong, and fire purifies. When you refine a pure a metal like gold or silver, how do they do it? They put it under intense heat until that metal melts and it is in liquid form. And what is not pure gold, what is not pure silver, surfaces. It comes to the top. They scoop it off with a big net. They let it cool down. They heat it up again. Different impurities come to the surface. They scoop them off. When do they know they have pure gold, pure silver? When they can see their reflection in the, molted, in the melted gold or silver. In the same way, God works in our lives that way. He applies heat. He's a consuming fire. He will burn things out that don't belong so that when people see us, they see Jesus that our character comes more in line with Him. And, and, and uh, Matthew Henry says that part of this shaking that is occurring in, in chapter... Bring up 2.7 again, please, Courtney. That the shaking might be a, a subtle reference to the, to the literal earthquake that occurred when Jesus died on the cross. If we can go to 2.7 in the New King James. He shakes the nations... He shook the earth. He brought an earthquake when Jesus was on the cross that we might all come, that all nations, all people, he died for all people, might come to the desire of all nations. 
Jesus, then we experience His manifest presence, His glory in our lives. That's what this book is about. Now, I want to answer the final question, and this will kind of help even bring it to fuller completion. Number four, what is the significance of rebuilding the temple? The temple in the Old Testament represented the presence and the power of God in their lives. The temple was that place that they gathered corporately to worship. It was the place where sacrifice was made on behalf of their sins. The blood of the Lamb was brought to the altar, into the Holy of Holies, and was was sacrificed for the sins of the people. It was the place they worshipped. It represented, listen, it represented the active presence and power of God. In the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And when they went to battle, they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. When they submitted to God and they had the presence and power of God represented in the Ark of the Covenant, they won those battles. When they submitted and obeyed God and did it His way, they won those battles. When they rebelled, when they got flippant, when they got selfish, when they got prideful, when they relied on themselves more than God, they were defeated. That is a picture, friends, of spiritual warfare that we have now. We do not fight physically, but we battle against powers of darkness, demons, the power of Satan and the demonic realm. And when we submit to God and we have His presence in our lives and we're doing it His way, we win victory upon victory. But when we disobey, we get out of line in His will, we violate His word, then we get defeated. And so the temple represented this, the active presence, power, and blessing of God. Now we know in the New Testament that Jesus came and He was the final sacrifice. No longer would they need to offer the sacrifice of animals and and lambs because Jesus was the final sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross and God literally shook the earth in an earthquake and Jesus died and purchased our sins, that once and for all sacrifice, no longer did they need a physical temple. That is why the veil was torn asunder when he died, signifying that all could come in. You don't need a physical temple anymore. Here's why. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. When you and I accept him as Lord and Savior, what does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in our hearts. And the Bible says in the New Testament, you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the new temple now is your body and your spirit and your heart if you are a born-again child of God. So look at these verses supporting that. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's what? Temple. So they were rebuilding a physical temple. You and I are to build this temple as a holy temple unto the Lord, yielded to Him, allowing Him to have His full expression in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Because the Christian has the presence and power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, it calls us the temple of God. Which means as He's allowed to work in our lives, then Colossians 1 and 27 comes to fruition. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what did we see in 2.7? I hope you're listening carefully. If not, you need to go back because this has full expression here. In chapter 2, verse 7, again, it is when we submit to the desire of all nations that He will fill this temple with glory. For them it was physical. For you and I, it's our lives. So when you and I come to the desire of all nations, yield to the Lordship of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit who's within us is more activated to fill our lives 
with His glory. Christ in you, the hope of God revealing His character and likeness. Christ in you, the power to overcome hatred, to overcome addiction, to overcome sin. Any struggle, Christ in you is greater than the presence of Satan in the world. Christ in you has the power to break any sin or addiction. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But it'll only happen as you and I yield to the Lordship of Christ. Sometimes brokenness must come before blessing. Sometimes shaking must come before salvation. How many people have testified that it was through a difficulty in their life? It was through a broken relationship. It was through a health issue that God used to wake them up and to see that time is of the essence. I must yield my life to God. Many times we have to be knocked down before we look up. But when we do, then there's change and transformation. And this is why Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Besides thee I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's lordship. Colossians chapter 3 says, When Christ who is my life is revealed. That's lordship. John 14 and 6, you are the way, the truth, and my life. That's lordship. Psalm 46 where it says, I I, I, I get my total joy from you, God. You alone are my portion. That is lordship. When Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That is lordship. In John 15 and 5, when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is lordship lordship. So beloved, where are you at today? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you born again? Do you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you? If not, today is the day you can do that. Today is the day you can yield. It's not a matter of trying hard. It's not a matter of trying to be a good Christian. It's a matter of surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then what happens is he begins to change you from the inside out. By a work of His Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, As we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit that we're transformed. It's by His Spirit that we grow. It's by His Spirit that we are changed. Not by trying harder. Not by getting more disciplined, as important as that can be. But it's by allowing the indwelling Holy Spirit to work in your life. Both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Philippians 2 and 13. If you have received Christ, is he the hub or is he merely a spoke? What is God doing to shake you in order to bring you to greater conformity to his will? Now, instead of taking questions today, I am going to have you do something a little different, but I think God wants us to do this. So I am going to have you in just a moment. You're going to stand, and you're going to get into groups of three or four. So stand, space out, get all over the room if you need to. And I want you, if you're willing, to share with your group where God is shaking you right now. See, one of the things that we want to be as a church is not a spectator church. Okay? We want to be a participatory church. We want to be a church where we uh, go deep. We grow. We're transparent. Properly, There's a proper transparency. That's why we love testimonies like Eric, exposing an area of his life that most people would be unwilling to expose. But when you do that, 
it builds a sense of transparency in a church because there's nothing that we need to be ashamed of when we bring it to God. And so I'm just going to encourage you to share with your group, uh, here's, an, here's an area where God is shaking me right now, or here's an area that, that maybe I'm going through something that's a little difficult, but, but I think this might be what God's trying to do. So if you're willing, share where he's shaking you and what you think he might be wanting to show you in that. And then just take a moment and pray for each other. The Bible says we are to pray for each other. Now, if any of our leaders in the room, staff that are in the room, I want to encourage you to, to maybe go into a group of people that you don't know as well. So don't just hang with the, our leaders. Don't just be with people that you're comfortable with. I'd like you to be kind of amongst the rest of the, the groups uh, just to maybe provide a little guidance in those groups. So let's stand and uh, kind of huddle up groups of three or four. Try to keep them to about three or four. Space out in the room. Wear a mask if you have it, please. And just share, where is God shaking you? Or how has He shaken you? Maybe it's something in your past. A way that He worked in your life through a shaking. Those of you watching online, I encourage you to do this at your home, whoever you're with. Just huddle up, circle up. What ways has God shaken you? And what ways has He used that in your life? Or where might He be trying to get your attention right now?
maybe one other person share and then go to prayer. If you would, just take a couple minutes to pray for those in your group, those who've shared. Maybe not everybody gets to share, that's okay. Take about one more minute in prayer. If you haven't gone to prayer yet, go to prayer, and I'll close us in about a minute or so. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are faithful every step of the way, that even when we are in pain, we are hurting, we're confused, when we come to you, you give clarity, your word brings life, your spirit brings power. Lord, we pray that for every person watching now or in the room today, that is particularly in a time of testing, in a time of shaking, in a time in which they are uncomfortable. God, we, I pray your grace upon them, your power, your help, your goodness to flow to them. And God, I pray that when they surrender, the fruit of that will be so motivational to continue to bring things into alignment with your perfect will. And thank you, God, that your will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect, Romans 12. And God, I pray for every person today that they will experience your good, your acceptable, and your perfect will for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can head back to your seats. Thank you guys for participating. I applaud you. When somebody... Uh, moves or is going to be away from us for a while. I like to make that known. And Trev and Elise Rogers and their family, Trev serves with the National Guard Reserves. And uh, he is uh, 
being sent, well, you can tell, you're going to Texas for a year. Yes, uh, we're moving to San Antonio, Texas uh, in the beginning of December, and so uh, we're scheduled to be there for a year. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for how faithfully you guys have served, contributed here, and uh, I just want to pray for them. God will direct their steps, and then we'll sing a final response song. So, Father, we thank you for Trev and Elise and their beautiful children. God, we pray blessings over them. We pray that you would provide all their needs. We pray that they would know their love by this church family. We pray in the name of Jesus that you lead them to good fellowship, support, a good church there. God, that you would direct their steps, keep their marriage strong, bless their children, the relationships that they develop there. And and God, we would desire so much that they'd be able to come back here Um, After this, your kingdom come, your will be done in their lives. And we just uh, thank you for them, the the beautiful example of Christ that they have been to so many, the ways they've served here. And and, uh, so, God, we just send them out with our blessing and our love and pray that your Holy Spirit will just be mighty in them and through them. Use them. Lord, we pray you'd use them as a light. Use them to influence others. Give them relationships that help them grow in you, but also relationships where they can share the good news with others and bring them into the kingdom because that's what you've called us to do. So we love you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name.